0: Hi, friends! Really great again to have you on the podcast, and as you um, uh, continue the journey with us of making disciples in your world, and uh, as we as we go forward, I, I hope that you really just take uh, uh, the word of encouragement that comes through these podcasts, of the listening to the voice of the Spirit, and are able to uh, grow, obey, and are able to move forward. Um, today, we have the blessing of. Cynthia Anderson with us and Cynthia uh, comes from a mission organization from which I spent over 20 years of my life with YWAM and uh, also we have links into the same part of the world. She used to serve up there in uh, Nepal and also India and um, uh, but we actually never got to meet one another. Such was our world and and we are just getting to know one another and um, uh, it's a real blessing to Have Cynthia on. Cynthia, welcome to the podcast.
1: Thank you so much, Dave. It's wonderful to meet you finally. Yeah, and uh, great great to be here. I'm looking forward to our conversation and a chance to interact with your audience as well.
0: Yeah, fantastic. And Cynthia really um, uh, is someone who's both a, a practitioner, she's been in the harvest, she's seen a movement take place, and now she's a multiplier. And she she trains and writes and and is in uh, invested in seeing multiplication happen of workers, and uh, yeah, she's just uh, written a book, and uh, I'm sure we'll be talking about that in the um, in the podcast. Um, and uh, she still serves uh, with a um, youth with a mission, and also uh, has a her own podcast called Dare to Multiply, which I'd really encourage you to go and check out as well. Um, Cynthia, just tell us a little bit about yourself, your life, and where you you grew up, and let's get to know you as a person.
1: Yeah, well, thank you. Yeah, well, I am a missionary kid. I was actually born in Nigeria, Mm. um, raised on the mission field in Ghana and Liberia. And, um yeah, I grew up having lots of fun being in the MK there with uh, a pet monkey and parrots and a, a bit of a zoo there in my home. But I also got to watch my father, who had a real heart for unreached peoples, um, loving and serving, you know, in villages that had never had the gospel. And in many ways, I caught that from my dad, Um but mm. when we when I was 13, there was a military coup d'etat in Liberia and our family was evacuated. It was quite a traumatic exit wow. from Africa. And I came back to America thinking I never want to live someplace that is difficult and traumatic like that again. And um, I thought I'd just live in the States and I, I studied English literature in college and I thought I, I wanted to be a Rhodes Scholar and... I was uh, you know, into academics, and then the summer of my sophomore year of college, I went on a missions trip, really without the greatest of motivations, to be totally honest. I wanted to travel again, and I thought, why not? I'll do it as a missions trip. And I went to Singapore and Thailand on that trip, and for the first time as an adult, I engaged with people who'd never heard the gospel, um, Mm -hmm. Uh, and the unreached uh, who had really never even heard of Jesus and it it just rocked my world and I knew I couldn't go back and live my nice little comfortable lifestyle (laughs) when there were millions who had never heard about Jesus before and so that was how God called me into working among the unreached and Then my husband and I, after we got married, we we felt the Lord leading us in our discipleship training school with YWAM. um, We were having a teaching on hearing the voice of God, and he spoke to us about Nepal very clearly with a lot of confirmation. And so three months after our discipleship training school, we headed for Nepal, pregnant with our first baby. Hmm. Young and wow. zealous and um, full of mm. full of zeal and little wisdom, but <laughs> God was with us, <laughs> and he He um, did some amazing things, and we we never returned. You know, we were in Nepal for ten years and then in India for fourteen, all serving among the unreached and focused on church planning. and we've kind of grown with movement, understanding, you know, when we first went out, Mm. Uh, we mm. had never heard the terminologies weren't even created of DMM and CPM and all this stuff <laughs> that we call it now. But um, about a year after we went to Nepal, George Patterson came uh, together with Kevin Sutter, who was um, the church planning coaches leader for YM and did a seminar. And uh, it rocked our world again. We were like, Wow. We thought if we could just plant one church among an unreached people group, that would be amazing. But all of a sudden, it was like, oh, we can plant churches that plant churches, and we can multiply. And um, that was back in, like, 1992, and we've been on that journey ever since and have kind of learned and grown with it as um, others have have also done the same. So, yeah.
0: Wow. Yeah, George George Patterson was a real catalyzer in those days, wasn't he? he was really, yes,
1: he was.
0: Yeah, really shifting mindsets and it was a it was a lone voice in many ways. Um I remember Colleen and I before we went to India, um, went and sat sat under George Patterson's uh, training for a while and we walked out of there going, what? What? What was that all about? <laughs> you know, we were we were um uh, I I wished I'd um I understood a bit more deeply what he was talking because he, he really was, uh, talking and a lot of the things that we take for granted these days, but, uh, were, were just outside our our way of thinking in those days. Um, so what, what a, what a great man he and a contribution he made to so many contexts and, yeah! Wow! What a what a great story you were you're up there in Nepal and 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 uh, today we see God doing so much amazing multiplication in Nepal. It's one of the hot spots of the world where mm. where we're seeing um, so many generations of churches and workers and inside leaders um, in all the messiness that movement mm. is. Um, yeah. Tell us about your journey, your own paradigm shifts into not just planting a church, but um, planting um, churches that are simple and multipliable. Um, Yeah, jump jump into that space for us so we can hear the journey.
1: Yeah, well, as I said, um, you know, our heart burned for the unreached, and that was already there when we first went to Nepal, but after we we had that seminar from George we really began to shift into the idea of churches that would plant churches and um, we we still had so many things that we we would do differently today you know <laughs> after a few years of experience I know that feeling yeah, yeah. but um, yeah. by God's grace you know he did some right things through us and really we we can't take any credit for what happened there but just you know in in spite of us god god wanted to reach the nepali villages that we were in and we went to nepal at quite a a critical time in history democracy had just come to nepal it was very very unreached the church had just come up from being underground and so we went to this valley area that was about three hours outside of Kathmandu. And it took us three months to find someone who had heard the name of Jesus. So that's how unreached it was. Um, but we we did. We met a man who had heard about the Lord in Bhutan, which is kind of a funny thing because that's another unreached area. But he was a migrant worker in Bhutan, and someone had told him about Jesus. And But he didn't know much. He just knew that he liked what he had heard and he became a person of peace for us and we started a little discovery Bible study type group in in his in his upstairs room. His wife was actually downstairs. She wasn't a believer and she was she was making local gin and selling it to people downstairs and upstairs he was there with this group of young men that whose hearts were really open and so we started training them and doing whatever we knew to do to have participatory discovery kind of learning it was actually before the discovery bible study method was had even been
0: delineated been created. outlined yeah yeah, yeah. Mm, <laughs> mm. but we
1: knew it needed to be participatory mm. we knew you know from george that we needed to gain ownership that it shouldn't be our church we should let them birth the church it was theirs not ours and um, so we worked worked through what we knew, and um, God began to work there. And then we we had to leave. We had a baby, and we needed to come back to the U.S. Um, to to show her to her grandparents and stuff like that. And so I remember the day where we prayed over this little group, and we said, "Now this is yours. And if this valley is going to hear about Jesus, it's going to be through you." And we commissioned them you know, to take whatever they had had gained and knew to the others in the community and in that valley. And then we were gone for about six months and it was before social media and Facebook and, you know, we barely had fax machines back then, but we had no Mm -hmm. idea what happened. But we prayed and prayed while we were gone and and we we went back hoping that the group would even still be in existence you know dave <laughs> and we got back there and they said they said to us you know what these people have believed and these people have believed and they said so when can you baptize them and we said oh <laughs> we're not going to baptize them <laughs> you have to baptize them and we'll teach you how but that's your responsibility this is your church and um so that little church was born and from there it just began to multiply and grow as they took leadership we moved into a coaching role with them and you know but we a lot of our mindset shifted as we as we made mistakes and learned from them oh we built a building there that killed the you know momentum there let's not do that again or <laughs> um and then also as we began to you know learn from you know David Garrison's book was released and we learned from that and we, you know, different things that, that are resources that became available. But uh, today, Dave, that valley area that it took us three months to find a believer in is over 10% Christians and followers of Jesus. And we just, you know, and they've sent out missionaries to other areas and we just really give him praise for what he did there. But it's been a journey of learning just a lot by experimentation and then evaluating what worked, what didn't work, and being willing to change in light of what we were seeing and what we were aiming at.
0: Yeah, fantastic. I remember we were sitting um, down a bit south from you then in Mumbai, and uh, we had a Nepali turn up at our door. Um, He was a Brahmin man. He'd heard about Jesus, but the believers that he encountered were so fearful and they they were not willing to show him a Bible or anything, and so he ended up just seeking and knocking at our door, and um and and was became part of what we were doing there in Mumbai, and became a rapid multiplier. And today, he's is now got generations of churches, and and uh, is now on the movement journey um, with us. But just what God was doing. Um, to change an unriched nation into what we see today um, amazing
1: it gives hope doesn't it Dave for those places that feel hard because Nepal was that place you know before if you look back in the 80s it was that place where it was so hard and so resistant and we you know we wondered if our prayers would ever be answered there kind of thing and- and today to see what he's done and yeah he's going to do it in australia and he's going to do it in those places that seem hard today
0: yeah and today we have um friends who are literally walking the mountains of uh, afghanistan and tajikistan and going into some of these hardest of places with a similar um perspective and you you hang on to see what god is doing and you go yeah let it happen again lord um as we hit these um these journeys um it's easy to look back and condense it in and celebrate, but there are seasons where you are in the midst of it, and it seems slow or it seems, oh Lord, is this ever gonna um break through um uh, how, how about you? Have you ever wanted to give up? Um, what what gives you the courage to keep moving forward in those seasons where it's just um, um, you, you're kind of doubting and you're kind of uh, struggling or you're not seeing the breakthroughs? At three months, I was just in Africa and hearing stories of movements um, that were up to the tens of thousands and multi-generation, but preceding that was years, even more than a decade of zero fruit, and that those hard yards what about you
1: yeah well the question is not have i ever the question is how many 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 times have i been in that place you know where (laughs) i think that's just part of the dmm journey of um you know you're going to hit those seasons where it's like ah when is the breakthrough going to come but there was one particular time dave where I was in India. We, we had shifted from Nepal. We lost our visa and had to move to India. And, um, that, that's a whole nother story, but we moved just across the border into West Bengal and we had, you know, been faithful. We'd raised up a local team and they were working hard and we were, we were trying to do everything we knew to do. And, and we just weren't seeing much happen at all. Um, you know, we had a handful of believers and some who had backslidden and some who were not very committed. And, um, you know, those, the dream was still there for, for movements. And we'd been talking and teaching our staff about that and others we were leading six mm-hmm. or seven teams mm-hmm. at the time. And, and, Uh, There was one morning I was sitting out in our garden there in India in the cool of the morning, and um, there's a beautiful bougainvillea tree. I was out under this tree seeking the Lord, and tears just began to stream down my face. And I just began to weep, and I said, God, is it ever going to happen here? And this phrase came into my mind, which wasn't from the Lord, but it plagued me for a number of weeks. And it was the phrase... You're just a little league team trying to win the World Series, and um, mm. I know Australia isn't a, a, probably a baseball. You guys are more cricket, but I'm an American, and mm. even when we were in West Africa, my dad had put together a little league team, which is just you know a kids team that's trying to learn how to play baseball, and the World Series is like the World Cup, you know, and we. This phrase is just, you're just this little league team trying to win the World Series. Mm. And I even had doubts, like, is it even right to, as far as a leadership role and spiritual, like, responsibility, you know, of member care for our staff, like, is it even right to ask them to aim at movement if there's no possibility we're ever going to hit that? (laughs) You know, (laughs) like, is it a -hmm. member care fiasco to even aim for movements? I remember writing to my leader saying, I just, you know, I'm not sure about this. And it, this, this doubt was so strong in my heart, and I almost quit. I almost gave up on movements mm. at that stage. Mm. But the Lord led me to go through the book of Acts and go through the Gospels, and I read them and reread them and read them and reread them, just saturated myself in the Gospels mm. and Acts for uh, about mm. a month And as I was doing that, Hmm. the Lord began to bring faith in my heart again, that yes, we might be bumbling, stumbling, broken people who don't have our act together, a little league team, so to speak, but God loves to use ordinary people. He loves to use even broken people. Um, who don't have their act together to bring his glory among the nations. And he did Mm -hmm. it in the New Testament, and I knew that God could do it through us again. And that was such a key turning point for me, Dave, of I will not Mm -hmm. give up on the dream of multiplication. The need of lostness demands it. We were there in the midst of millions who had never heard the gospel And I knew we couldn't settle for addition growth. You know, we had to aim at multiplication because of the need. But faith had to come into my heart, you know, that God could do it through us. And um, it's Mm. actually the first mindset I talk about in my book, Faith, God Can Do It Here, God Can Do It Through Me. And uh, that's the first uh, first or second chapter's title, A Little League Team Trying to Win the World Series. But... But it was a turning point, and from that point, I have mm. never turned back on aiming mm. at movements. I know that it's in the Word, and it's God's will, <laughs> and it's what He wants to do. And uh, faith has, you know, really came into my heart through Scripture at that time. But we still mm. didn't mm. see huge breakthrough after that. You know, it was mm. a number mm. of years um, of still, you know, just... Just being faithful, just plot—you know—plotting forward. And um, but then what what happened was a number of us, YYM frontier mission leaders, were together in Indonesia at some meetings, and the Lord led us in this process of really beginning to examine our mindsets and our beliefs and the things that we say mm. we believe, but then our practice, mm. <laughs> our practice doesn't demonstrate mm. that we believe that. And um, he led us in this process of examining our beliefs and our mindsets. And that was revolutionary for us. And we Mm -hmm. began to look at things like the harvest is ripe. You know, Jesus said it. Do we really believe it? (laughs) Do we believe the harvest is ripe? Mm -hmm. Um, And, Mm -hmm. you know, again, that's a mindset of openness, that people are actually open to the gospel. God has prepared people. Our job is to go out there and find them and have those spiritual conversations so we, we can find out who they are. But we said we believed it, but our actions weren't showing that. And so God led us in this process of repentance. And um, yeah. And then as we did that, within three or four years, we went from seeing no movements to seeing 19 new movements in the next four years. And. I really think that process is what brought about the change in us of changing our Mm. thinking led to change in our behavior, which led to um, releasing God to move in new ways. And and that's really the heart behind the book, Dave, of why I wrote it. I was like, this Mm. is something I need to share with others who are in a similar situation as we were at that point.
0: Just fantastic. I mean, we often... um uh, I often refer to, we refer to that scripture in prayer meetings. Um, the harvest is plentiful. And then we, we pray, but Lord is it. <laughs> <laughs> and we, we, we're out there. We, we, we seem to be in a resistant culture. Um, Lord, how uh, we, be, we believe, we think we believe. Um, <laughs> I, I'd love to dive into that a little bit more. Some of those mind shifts that you, that you discuss in your book, um, but um, before we do that, um, I know that now you you're, you have a big picture ministry. You you train globally. You, um, I was uh, actually just in Uganda recently in a town called Ginger at the mouth of the River Nile, and uh, with a, with a couple of guys there, and I heard this. They were saying this lady. She's, she's coming to Ginger. <laughs> and, uh, <laughs> it was Cynthia. And, um, and, uh, I went, wow, she's really, um, she's, she's there. What, what's, what's some of the trends? What gives you hope? What gives you concern? Um, how do you, how do you view that? How, how do you view what what's happening around the world?
1: Yeah, well, it it's been an interesting journey, you know, of really, and you know, as a as a former YWAMer, somebody who once a YWAMer, always a YWAMer, as we say. But you know, in YWAM, we always talk about you know, hear hear God's voice and obey. And um, in twenty nineteen. Right before the pandemic broke out, the Lord led me Mm. to put the training we'd been doing in the field in India, Nepal, and Bangladesh into an online course, and um, He knew what was coming. He knew that we would go through a season where all of our on-site training would be shut down completely, but Mm. God used that to open up completely new avenues to train in nations and places we had never trained people before and to um, to use the internet and to use online training in that season particularly and, and it was exciting to see just this explosion mm. of interest. Um, so many people who had not heard of movements and not heard of disciple making, multiplication principles were able to be trained mm. and yeah, we trained about mm. 3,000 in the last few years through that course. And, wow. um, yeah, tens of thousands who have been reading my blog and things like that. And again, it's, it's just amazing how when we obey God, He just starts to multiply things, you know, and it's really just mm. obeying mm. Him and being faithful to be consistent in our obedience. But that gives me a lot of hope, you know, that God can turn around something as tragic and horrible as the pandemic which it was, I mean, we lost friends Mm. uh, to COVID. Mm. It was a horrible tragedy, but God can turn that around for his glory and he can use it to advance his kingdom. And no crisis, Mm. no obstacle is too great for God to turn it around and use it to expand his kingdom. And so that gives me a lot of hope. You know, whatever we're facing today um, in our, you know, right now in America I don't know if you're facing this in Australia but the de-churching of America is something that people are talking a lot mm. about and I just think wow god you're about to do something amazing you know you're preparing for something and you're you're getting people mm. ready for yeah. what what you're about to do and so yeah mm. I think there's a lot of hope when we look at, at god's power to turn things around. Um, I am concerned for my nation, I have to say. Um, Mm. I I mostly don't work in America. (laughs) Mostly I work in unreached uh, areas, um, classically Mm. unreached, I should say, but I'm concerned for the church in the West. Uh, Probably, I I told a group of people uh, last night, I'm more concerned than I've ever been in our 35 plus years of ministry for the church in the West. And praying a lot mm. for the church in the West to to really experience something new. And um, again, you know, I, I hate to keep coming back to the book, but it's so prevalent in my mind, you know, right now mm. it's just that mm. we need mm. a new mindset. Um, we've got to think yeah. differently. We've got to act differently. Um, and it concerns me. I, I hope we will, you know? Uh,
0: yeah, yeah. So, so true. Um, the um, the core that God has given us um, is in practice is the nations. I mean, the the ethnic, the unreached uh, of the world. Um, but uh, our particular concern is the Western nations mm. of Western Europe and places like Australia where you go, there's major decline mm. and um, there is... Um, uh, a hardening of heart, almost, mm. um, being in in these contexts where you describe it as post-Christian. And you've got um, the um, pre- uh, you know, the non-Christian world where we see Buddhist, um, Islam, mm. Hindu kind of uh, big worlds there where uh, clearly defined unreached people groups you've got the christian mm-hmm. world which i think is also a different missionary challenge but it is also a missionary challenge yeah. because there is a um we in in places like africa or pacific islands mm-hmm. papua new guinea there's a, there's a strong christian culture mm-hmm. but it's um, um it it needs a it needs something new because um that's not working in many situations and then you've got the Post-Christian culture, which is the uh, the um, uh, the world that we we're also butting our heads against these walls mm-hmm. in in there, and so each of them require faith and strategy mm-hmm. and and uh, a movement context, and um, mm-hmm. yeah, tell us um, tell us about the book um. um and you're you describing the shifts that have to happen in the in mindset and um, how they can have an impact on seeing great, greater fruitfulness. To, uh, dive into some of these areas for us and unpack them a bit for us. Yeah,
1: thanks. Well, I, I really, again, why I wrote the book was, was also because I know there are a lot of good books out there on the, the how-tos of movement, you know, how yeah. to do the do discovery bible study, how to start groups. But what I, I found as I've trained people is a lot of times people will understand the how tos and yet they haven't changed their thinking. They haven't changed their mindsets.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: And what what I find is until your thinking can really be transformed by scripture and by the word and you allow God to change your mindset and your thinking, um, your behavior isn't sustainable. You know you you might you know dabble in disciple making or start a group or two, but you're until your mindset really shifts in these key areas, um, we're not going to see the release of that kind of multiplication that God intends to bring. So uh, that's that's something that was really on my heart with the book is to help mm. practitioners mm. like many of your listeners are who they've been doing, they've been doing it. But maybe there are some areas that they need to look at afresh and say, okay, have I really changed my thinking here? And God, change me. (laughs) I'm open to being transformed in this area. And um, so the book, the first section of the book, the first part, we look at our mindsets about God and about ourselves. Hmm. Um, And I think that's Hmm. really important to start there. I know for me... um, understanding God's desire to reach the people around me putting my faith in that not in my ability not in my you know what I can do if Mm. I do it all right if I get the method perfect it's going to work you know but it's God and what he Mm. wants to do and his capacity to reach people and to transform lives and who he is and so the uh, the first mindset shift, as I talk about, is faith. The second one is on expand, which is, there's a story I love to tell, and I tell it in the book. Um, again, it's from Nepal, but the the phrase that goes with that mindset shift, Dave, on expand is don't ask God for school books when God can give you a tata truck, and <laughs> um, you know what a Tata truck is from India, there. Mm. But I was I was mm. in Nepal after we'd moved to India. I went back to visit some of the church planners there and do some training. And one morning I was out sitting, looking over these rice fields, and the Lord just dropped this parable in my heart. And um, you know, I've never had that happen before or since. But it's the story of this Nepali farmer. And this, this Nepali farmer had three sons and he was just a simple farmer, uneducated man, but he worked hard in his fields and whenever he would get his crops, he would sell them and get money and instead of buying extra saris for his wife or, you know, new, new things for their house, he would invest that money in different little businesses that he would hear about. And, and soon that began to grow and he did this faithfully for many years and, finally one of those businesses sold and they paid off the shareholders and this this Nepali farmer came into a large sum of money and he thought to himself well I really want to give some of this to my sons but what should I do? And he thought I don't want to spoil them so this is what I'm going to do I'm going to ask them to come and ask me for what they need and then I'll, I'll see if I can help them and so he called his three sons they came and they he said I've I've received some funds from an investment and if you have a need come and ask me and so the three sons the oldest one is married and he had a child that was just starting primary school and he went back and talked to his wife and he said said you know dad is a good man but he's just a simple man he's never gone to school or anything and he can't have very much money so let's just ask for money for school books for our, our child who's getting ready to start school. They thought, oh yeah, that's good because that, that way the other brothers can also ask for something that's not too expensive. So they went to their father and the father and said, Dad, could you give us you know, a couple thousand rupees? We would like to buy school books for our son. Even a thousand rupees would be great. And the father looked at them and said, I can do that. And he got the money, handed it to him. They went away happy. And then the second son, he worked in Kathmandu in the capital city for a travel agent. And he thought to himself, well, Papa is a good man, but, boy, he's not a city, city man. He's just a simple village farmer. He doesn't know very much. So he, he can't have very much money. But, you know, if I could just have a bicycle... I could ride my bicycle back and forth from the travel agency I work at. I wouldn't have to ride the bus. But a new bicycle is expensive. I have this friend who's selling a used bicycle. I'm going to ask Papa for 3,000 rupees to buy a used bicycle from uh, from my father. And so he went, he asked his father. His father looked at him and said, son, I think I can do that. And he gave him the money, he went away happy. But the youngest son, Dave, he was uh he was the concha by, you know, he was the youngest brother. He lived at home mm. and he worked with his father every day. And he thought to himself, he thought, you know, my father's a simple man, he's never been to school. But he is the wisest man I have ever met. And he is mm. so good with money and such a good farmer. I bet you he has a lot of money. I'm going to ask him for a Tata truck so I can start my own business. A Tata truck is a big, big vehicle. And he said, I want to yeah. yeah. buy a truck so I can, I can take the vegetables back and forth. And so he asked his father, he said, Papa, could you help me buy a Tata truck? And his father looked at him and he said, I think I can do that. <laughs> and so they went to the bank, they bought the truck, and he drove the truck into the village, and all the villagers came to see the new truck, and somebody called the older brother and he came and he said, Bye, younger brother, where did you get the money for this truck? And he said, Well, I asked father and father gave it. And so um, the the oldest brother said, What? I asked for school books. How did you get a Tata truck? And he called up his middle middle brother what did you ask for? I asked for a used bicycle. Well, our brother got a tata truck. So the two older brothers went to the father and said, Papa, why didn't you tell us you had so much money? Why didn't you give us a tata truck? And uh, the father looked at his sons and he said, My sons, didn't I tell you to ask me for what you needed? Mm. And they hung their heads and said, Yes, yes, Papa. Hajur, Yes, Papa. And the father said, and didn't I give you what you asked for? And they hung their heads and he said, then you need to go and be content with what you've been given. And when God gave me that story, Dave, I knew he was not talking about trucks and school books. Mm. (laughs) He was talking about Mm. the unreached. And he, he just showed me that the only thing that really limits what God can do through us is our understanding of who he is. His character, mm-hmm. His ability, mm-hmm. and our ability to ask Him on the basis of who He is for great things, to have that God-sized vision, it comes from our understanding of the character of God and the character of the Father. And so, um, yeah, that's the second mindset is expand. Don't ask God for school books when yeah. He can give you a Tata ta truck. And God really wants wow. to do more through us than we can even imagine.
0: Wow. That's, that's awesome. And uh, for the listener, if you're sitting there thinking, wow, I'd love to grab hold of this book, uh, just just go to the notes on this podcast because um, you'll see the Multiplier's Mindset book. Uh, uh, links are there for you to, to access um, uh, more of this. Um, Cynthia, um, uh, you maybe written some things that might get some kickback, some controversial things. Um, um why did you talk about things like um baptism or w- w- even worse women in ministry <laughs>
1: <laughs> oh yes well i'm i'm waiting for the backlash to come but you know i i knew that these were important mindset shifts that that needed to take place and I, I mentioned before the YOM Frontier Missions experience that we went through, but I also interviewed many key movement leaders like Dr. Victor Chowdhury, who, uh, we, we both know, and others, Stan Parks, Curtis Sargent, Bill Smith, um, so many leaders in, you know, in movements today. And again and again, the topic of baptism came up as one of the most important mindset shifts that needs to take place. Um, and shifts of practice as well. If we're going to truly release movements and and really baptism and you know baptism by all and for all is the mindset shift um, is something that is sort of the 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 outplaying of understanding the priesthood of all believers and that it isn't just ordained clergy who can do the work of the ministry and do certain tasks. And coming from a, a background, you know, who I've worked with Hindus and Buddhists for many years, as, as you have, Dave, um, I just saw so clearly that the priesthood of all believers is a New Testament concept, but we are stuck back in a very similar concept <laughs> to the caste system where we have the Brahmins, the high caste who are doing, you know, the, the, the work that only high caste people can do. Um, and lower caste people aren't allowed to do certain things. And in the Old Testament, it was the Levites. But really understanding the priesthood of all believers and practically working it out. Um, baptism is the, the outworking of that, to really believe that anyone, that we're all on the same level. There's no high and low. Yeah. And uh, yeah. so, yeah, and I've seen that in our own ministry as well. When, when people really get a hold of that and begin to empower ordinary people... To baptize others, that they are leading to faith, that sense of ownership, um, that it's not you know it's not just the pastor who can do that. But I baptize them. I'm responsible to disciple them. I'm responsible to train them until they can train others. Um, comes to play, and then women. Yeah, um, <laughs> Doctor Doctor Chowdhury. When I interviewed him, he he said you've got to say something about women in your book, Cindy, because. Um, he said, not empowering women is stupidity at the highest level. And I said, oh, Uncle, can I quote you on that? Um, that's that's pretty radical for someone to say. And I'm not sure as a woman I could even say that. But that's what Uncle Victor, who has seen so many people <laughs> come to faith in India, said. And he said, he said to me, um, and I wrote this in the book as well, he said, it's easier to convince an imam to come to faith than to convince some traditional pastors to allow women to do the work of the ministry. And I thought, oh, how sad that is. And yet, yet you know, can be true. It's not true of everyone. But um, Jesus believed in women. He empowered women. And, of course, you know, as a woman who has an apostolic anointing and calling, Um, I've walked my own journey, you know, together with my husband in this. And so I share some of that journey and those stories and really what was the biblical foundation that has made me very free and confident in the giftings and calling that's on Mm. my life.
0: Mm. Yeah, it was Aung Song Suu Kyi, uh, the lady um, um, who became a leader in Myanmar, um, who's now in jail, it was she who said, uh, "It's not just men who are to bring light to the world," um, and um, uh, we we say amen to that. Uh, yeah, uh, we both. Uh, one of the wonderful things about YWAM is a strong affirmation of women in leadership, and it's both modelled and uh, as an example. And for those of us that were raised in that culture, then to jump out into other. Christian cultures and to find that to be a major issue was something of a surprise and um, um, especially as as someone who's been under some amazing women of God uh, who've been leaders in our lives um, to, to consider that they're devalidated somehow because of their gender or yeah.
1: yeah. Well, and I love but, um, I love what Uncle says about that. Uncle Victor says too. You know, when he came yeah. and taught uh, some of our church planners in India about this, you know, he really challenged our our guys. You know, that were being trained and some of the women there as well. That mm-hmm. not empowering women is not only not biblical, but it also just doesn't make sense because half of your mm-hmm. workforce is lost. And mm-hmm. if you want to see multiplication, mm-hmm. we have to empower everybody. And there was a there was a guy in a Nepali yeah. man who he took that to heart. He went back and he trained and equipped everyone in his church, including the women, gave them assignments to go and share the gospel. And there was a lady in that church who within within a month she led fifty people to the Lord. She had just never mm-hmm. been equipped and trained. And I think there's a lot of women mm-hmm. out there who've just never been empowered that Again, it, 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 it's biblical, but it also makes sense if we're aiming for multiplication.
0: And when you're jumping into movements around uh, the exploding movements, you see the, the role is just self-evident. Mm-hmm. Uh, you see women, um, um, uh, Uncle Victor's wife, um, mm-hmm. who's been responsible for catalyzing tens of thousands, um, yeah. into baptism. And you see, um, uh, in our, our dear friend, uh, Roderick Gilbert's movement, um, in, in Delhi, uh, the, the women who are leaders, leaders not of thousands, but of tens of thousands and yeah. of, of, of there. And people who are, um, uh women who are illiterate and women mm-hmm. who are simple but have grabbed hold of the gospel and multiplied um it's it's self-evident and um it was um our friend um, one of the movements that we have been helping just recently in the last few years that has exploded in central india uh have came, the leader came to me and said you know brother he said, <laughs> he said uh as if he was telling me a secret, he says, uh, "More than fifty percent of our leaders are women." <laughs> <laughs> it was surprising him of uh, the the women who were, once you you release and catalyze every believer. Mm. Um, the women who were taking this to the next village and planting new churches. The women who were able to walk into villages and not be a threat to that community because Mm. they were not strange men but Mm -hmm. um, related women uh, someone's auntie, someone's cousin and able to go to that next village and share and yeah, wonderful Um, what a a great conversation Um, as we conclude the podcast um, what's your hope um, for for this uh, book and for what God is how God is using you um. yeah and would you just conclude us um, with a word of encouragement as well for the workers mm-hmm.
1: I would love to well I'm still personally also asking God to continue to expand my heart and my mindset to believe him for more and right now Dave we are aiming to see uh, through the course that we, we have at least 50 new movements by 2025 so that's our God sized dream that we're aiming at and um, we would invite anyone who would to pray with us that that would come about. It's not something we can do in our own strength, but aiming, aiming big and for even more after that as those movements begin to multiply into more. But through the book, yeah, I just am believing that God is going to use it to everyone who reads it. They'll begin to shift in at least two or three areas. You know, there's 17 mindset shifts in the book and you, you can't probably absorb them all at once, but, that God will really use it for a few key areas for each person who reads it that will really make a difference for them in seeing an increase in, in fruitfulness as they respond. And it's, it's not, it's not something we can do, but as the Holy Spirit's working in us and through us that I, I, I really believe and am praying that God will use it to help many people who are kind of stuck to, to see that breakthrough of something moving forward. Um, in a new way and, and even that many movements will be catalyzed through those that read the book. And then for those who are in the West, um, and maybe are in traditional churches and maybe have never even heard of movements before, um, I really hope that they'll read the book. My pastor who, um, we, we are from a large, very missions minded church, but a large, it's, it's he says it's not a mega church but several thousand in the church so <laughs> depends how you define that. But he said to me, he said, Cindy, we have just been asking people for decisions and making decisions, not making disciples help us. Um and and I would hope that this book would be something that would also bring help to people who are they're they're looking for something new, for something more and really yearning to reach the people around them and so I'm, I'm hoping that will be a help to those kind of people as well. Yeah, and as an encouragement, I just want to challenge and encourage everyone who's listening, don't give up. Be faithful. Keep doing what you're doing, but also be open. Be open to change. You know, I think uh, one of there's two things that help us change. One is pain and one is passion. And so if you feel pain of not seeing fruit, let God turn that into an openness to change and to try new things and to say, God, shift my mindset. Show me what mindsets need to change and help me to change and be, be willing to do things differently, to experiment in new ways. and Let that pain turn into the passion of God um, and pain and passion come together for you. And I believe that God is going to do new things in this season for you. So God bless. Thanks so much, Dave, for having me and giving
0: me this opportunity. Thanks so much.